My name is Angela, and if you don't know me, I am, well, whether you know me or not, I am the senior campus minister here and the director of ministry. But you can't let that title intimidate you because it, it seems like the longer you stay someplace, the more they just keep changing your title. And really, if you stay someplace long enough, you become the they that starts changing the title. So, you know, it's, it's just a title. The reality is, is that I am just a person who loves people, who loves to play, and who loves God. And so there's no better place for me to be than in a campus ministry where I can tell people how much God loves them and play with you guys because you're all crazy. College students, just kick that over. Don't worry about that, Brenton. Um, anyway, all right. Our theme this year, if you don't know, is Kingdom of Heaven. It's written somewhere right there. And basically... We're camping out in the book of Matthew, which is one of the four accounts of Jesus' time on earth. And in that, we, were, we found out that Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven arrived when he arrived. And that basically, when we're near Jesus, we get to it, just basically have a part of the kingdom of heaven, a taste of that. Not the final thing, that's going to be in heaven. But being near Jesus gives us that sense of belonging and that uh, that possibility of healing and hope and joy and all the things that are found there. So covering the book of Matthew in a year is a little daunting. So we've broken it up into three different um, sections. We are studying parables and then we're looking at people in there and then we're going to finish up with some of the preaching that's found in there. Now technically we are in the people phase of this book but um, due to circumstances I was unable to talk about my parable when it came time and so we decided to, to dip our toes right back into parables and just hit this last one and y'all it is such a good one. I just want to go ahead and tell you that tonight I believe is going to be an incredibly encouraging night. And I'm so glad you're here. And I hope that you will stay engaged and you will stay focused because I really think that there is good news in what we're going to talk about tonight. And there is something for each and every person here. However, I know the reality is y'all burn the candle at both ends. And if you're, you know, like me and you're impatient on the podcast, you've probably already sped it up. And, um, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and tell you what my main point for the night is. This is something that... I hope by the end of the night, if you don't already believe it, you start to believe it. Because it's a truth that Jesus talks about, that the Bible backs up. And it's a truth that if you can believe this, it will start to change your life. And I believe it can change the world around us. And so our main point, our bottom line for tonight is you are valuable. You are loved. God loves you. God wants you with him and God will always seek you. God rejoices when you come home. I think that that is the message that Jesus tells us. That's the message that we're going to hear tonight in the parables that we're looking at. That is the message of the Bible. And for some of you, you're probably like, well, yeah, I know that. Of course God likes me. <laughs> of course he loves me. You know, I mean, look at me. I've been in church my whole life. I do all the right things. And I believe what the Bible says. And if that is you tonight... I think that is fantastic. That is the way to be. That is the place to be. That is what we all strive for. It took me a long time to get to that point where I believed that. But man, is it good to be there. And for those of us who already know that and already believe that, y'all, that is a message that we need to share with everybody. We need to spread that message. But let me just warn you, you're young, all right? And there may come a time in your life when... That truth doesn't seem 
quite as truthful or it doesn't seem to quite apply to you as much as it does right now. And if that time ever comes, I hope that this talk will really help. I hope it will stick in your mind. Now, I know that it's probably more likely that more of you who are here or who are listening to this talk think, ooh, I wish that was true. But you know what? I'm not, I haven't really been into church. I haven't really read the Bible a lot. I just, I'm not sure that that would apply to me. And some of you might be like, well, yeah, I know that when I was young. You know, I believed that. I heard it. And I was so good and innocent when I was young. But you don't know me now, Angela. You know, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I haven't done. And to all of that, I would say, first of all, I'm really glad that you're here, if that's how you're thinking, if that's what you're thinking. All right. And second, I would say you're right. I don't know you. I don't know any of you perfectly. I don't know a lot of you well. But it doesn't matter. You see, I might not know you, but I know Jesus. And I know the Bible. And I may not know them perfectly, but I know them enough to believe what the Bible says. And I believe with all my heart that that message, is it still up there? Yay, is what the Bible teaches. I believe that's what Jesus says, that God loves unconditionally all of us, every single person, no matter what you've done, no matter what you haven't done, no matter who you are, God loves you unconditionally. And so whatever condition you are putting on the unconditional love of God, I want to challenge that tonight. All right, Whatever it is that you think that keeps God from loving you unconditionally because you did this or you didn't do that or this has happened or that has happened, I want to challenge you because I think the message that we're going to hear tonight, the message that Jesus talks about, the message that's through the Bible is that that is not the case, that this is the truth. See, I think Jesus came for two main reasons, to forgive our sins so that we can have a relationship with God and to help us see God more clearly, help us understand him more because as humans, we get it messed up really easily. And that's what I think these parables that we're, we're going to look at more than one tonight say. So before we go any further, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into this. Let's pray. <sighs> Father, you know that I am really excited about this message because it is just so, such a message of love and encouragement and hope for all of us. And God, I don't know what each person in here is dealing with, but you do. You know what they walked in with. You know what they're dealing with on a regular basis. You know how they're thinking. You know the people who have just heard this and thought, oh, yeah, and the people who have heard this and thought, I wish, and the people who have heard this and thought, no way. I pray that I can just speak your truth clearly and um, that it can be heard. And I pray that you would be with each of us tonight. Give us what we need, Lord. Help this night to be a night that brings us closer to you and brings you glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so the, the parable, which is just basically means a story with a message that we're talking about tonight, is the parable of the lost sheep. And we're going to actually read two of them because we're going to read the version in Matthew and one in Luke. And when I started thinking about this parable, I started thinking about the idea of getting lost, okay? Can you, can you even get lost today with, with cell phones and with GPS and with all the internets and everything? And I'm not talking about turned around. So I don't know about you, I've got a terrible sense of direction. When I'm in a hotel room, if the elevator is that way, I go out of my room and I turn that way. And if I come out of the mall and my car is parked over there, I'm turning this way and walking this way. So I, I have a terrible sense of direction. And I, but I'm not talking about just getting turned around. I'm talking about like being lost, lost. 
I have only been lost, lost one time, and it was a long time ago, okay? It was, it was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It was, it was pre-cell phones. It was pre-internet. It was when everything was black and white. I don't know. Um, but basically, I was... Um, I, was, I decided I used to be very athletic. I'm still, I, still in my heart, I'm athletic. But I used to be very athletic. So I decided to train for the UGA triathlon, Olympic-length triathlon. You got a one-mile swim. You got a 25-mile bike ride and a six-mile run, right? And I was, it was getting close to that time. And I was, I was mostly concerned I'd never ridden 25 miles all at once. And I had been training one of my students here rode for the UGA um, biking team. And so he would train with me, which is super humbling. But anyway, um, it got close to time. And I was like, you know what I need to do? I need to go see what that course is, and I need to ride that course. So I went over to Rec Sports, because, again, you couldn't look it up online. And I went, and I, I looked at their map. And I was like, hmm, OK, starts at the IM field, goes about 25 miles. I got this, no problem. So I go home, and I get my bike, and I get my water, and I get my quarter. Because, you know, without cell phone, you always took a quarter with you in case of an emergency, knowing I wouldn't need it. Um, and that way, you could go to a payphone, and you could call and get help or whatever. So I'm ready to go. And a smart person might have done things a little bit different. Now, I consider myself a smart person, honestly. But in hindsight, there were so many dumb decisions that went into this day, OK? <laughs> For instance, a smarter person might have tried to grab a copy of the map since they'd never ridden this 25 miles, but I did not. A smarter person might have tried to write down the directions or some of the roads that they would go on. I did not. A smarter person might have driven it first, you know, so that they would see it or maybe ridden with a friend, maybe if they had a student who rode on the UGA biking team or something like that. That was not me. A smarter person would have told their roommates where they were going and when they thought they would be back, even if they weren't there, maybe leave a note. No, that was not me. A smarter person might have decided to start where the track and the course actually started at the IM fields, instead of just thinking, oh, I'll just go from my driveway. It's fine. I'll catch up into it. I made a series of mistakes. None of that occurred to me. And one of the things I am blessed with is a big sense of overconfidence. Um, and so with my biking water, with my quarter and my bike helmet, I jump on my bike and I'm off. I'm riding. And it's a good day to ride, you know. And I'm riding down the road and it's great. Everything's going well. I pretty much know where I am. But honestly, it doesn't take too far before I'm not so sure where I am. I'm like, these roads are not super familiar. But, you know, I saw the map. And with my great sense of direction, why would I ever be concerned? And so I keep riding. And eventually, as you can imagine, I came up to an intersection. And I had a choice. I could go right, I could go left, I could go straight. Now, this choice should have stumped me for longer than it did because I just went, I'll go right. And I just went right with full confidence, and I went driving. And I came up to another intersection, and I was like, I'll go straight. And I just, just randomly made decisions as to where I would go. And I'm just riding, and I'm like, this is good. I'm in shape. I'm going to do good. I'm going to kill this triathlon. You just wait. Eventually, I started realizing, you know, about this time, I should be getting close to the intramural fields because it's a loop, right? And I'm, pretty, I'm fairly familiar with all the area around the IM fields, and I was like, nothing looks familiar. And just as I'm starting to make this realization that I may not be where I think I am, I see a sign, and it says, Welcome to Arnoldsville. <laughs> Arnoldsville. I've never heard of Arnoldsville. I lived in Athens for seven years. I'm like, where is Arnoldsville? How am I in another city? I don't know where Arnoldsville is, but I know it's not Athens, and I know I'm supposed to be in Athens. And I was like, oh, no. And that's when it hits me. I don't know where I am. Y'all, I am 
I am lost because there is no way I can go back the way I came. I randomly picked directions at every intersection. There's no way I could find my way back. Instead, I'm in a town that I've never heard of. How far away is it? I don't know. What happens at this point is that my brain starts panicking, right? It starts freaking out, and the, the wheels start turning, and all of a sudden the sky gets darker, and everything seems more menacing, and I'm like, Arnoldsville. Does anybody ever make it out of Arnoldsville? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, this is, this is just terrible. What am I going to do? How am I going to? Do they kill people in Arnoldsville? Is that why I've never heard of it? I mean, what is happening? I am really starting to panic and freak out. Now, I do have my quarter. But you know what? There's no pay phones in Arnoldsville. I can't find a single pay phone. Now, there are houses, and I'm sure those houses were nice, but there's no way I'm knocking on some random psychopath's door, right? And that will be the last face I ever see in Arnoldsville. Um, <laughs> now, if you've ever been out in nature or the woods or anything like that, you'll know that they tell you if you ever get lost, the best thing to do is to stay put because somebody will come find you, and the more you try to work your way back, usually the more lost you get. A smarter person may have followed those directions, but that was not me, not that day. And I was thinking, I'm keeping on moving because a moving target is harder to catch, and it's harder to kill. So I just keep riding, and I'm like, I'm panicking now. I, I realize how vulnerable I am, how alone I am, how scary the world is. I'm, I'm like, I'm never going to see my family again. I'm, I'm just having all these awful dark thoughts that are just rolling through my head, but I just keep riding. You know, I'm just, I'm going to keep riding. I'm going to find something. My water's about out. I'm like, oh no, what am I going to do? Well, praise God, eventually I came to a road that I recognized. It was Highway 78. At the time, the biggest highway that went in or out of Athens, but I did know it went to Athens, and I got so excited, and I was like, okay, this road goes to Athens, and away from Athens. <laughs> <laughs> I have another choice to make. <laughs> this is not good. So I, I, I was like, okay, okay, you, you just can't go with instinct. That has not worked. I've got I've to make a wise choice here. So I, I decided to go with like where the most cars were headed because I figured they'd be going to Athens, right? And so I picked my direction. Now, this is a big highway. This is like a 55-mile-per-hour highway, 18-wheeler trucks, no bike lane. But it goes to Athens, and dang it, I'm getting on that road, and I'm going to Athens, and so, I think. And so, I get on the road, and I'm riding, and trucks are going by, and like, almost blowing me off the road. People are honking, like, get off the road! This is not for bikes! I'm like, thank you, that's super helpful. <laughs> I'm feeling really good now anyway, so, you know, um, so I'm riding. I'm like, I'm going to die. I'm on this death road, and... Um, and it's, I've, I still don't know where I am, and I'm like, oh, God, I, I bet I've gone the wrong way because that's, that's the story of today. And so I'm about to turn around when all of a sudden there's a light, and angels are singing, oh, and it's the Athens City Limit signs. And I was like, yes, hallelujah. All right, so I, I, at least I'm going the right way. So I keep going. You know, it's probably like another 10 minutes before I get to a convenience store that has a payphone outside. I'm like, oh, thank God. I just, I'm, by now I'm so tired, I'm like shaking. I'm like, I'm just get my quarter and I'll call my roommates and they'll come get me. And so I get out and I put the, put the quarter in and I make the call and it rings and it rings and it rings and then the answering machine picks up. And we used to have these things called answering machines, but you can hear them. So I'm yelling, pick up the phone, pick up the phone. I mean, people are looking at me. I'm like, give me a like, pick up the phone. Nobody picks up the phone, so I have, I have no choice. You know, by now it's dark. I have nothing reflective on. I am like a basket case, and I get back on my bike, and I'm like, well, there's one way home. So I just, <laughs> I start riding home, and eventually I get there. I pull up, and all my roommates are out on the back porch just hanging out, chatting, 
just like, oh, there you are, Angela. We wonder where you are. Your car's here, you know? And I was like, oh, is it? Thank you. That's really good. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. And I just went and collapsed in my bed. Y'all being lost sucks. <laughs> it is not good. You are alone. You are scared. You don't realize how vulnerable you are. You don't realize how scary the world is until you are lost, lost, and you don't know how to get back. It is just not a good place to be. Everything looks dangerous. It's unsettling. You just realize that you've lost all security. All, all reason has gone out the window. You know, it's, it's a dark place to be. And I've only been lost physically one time. And I hope you are never that lost because it's awful. But I have to admit that there have been times when I have felt that way either mentally or emotionally or even spiritually sometimes. And it is just as bad when you are in a place that you don't know how you got there and you definitely don't know how to get back and it's dark and you feel alone and you feel vulnerable and you feel scared. It's a terrible place to be. And I, I really have no doubt that somebody here or listening to this is probably in that place right now. And if that's you, I've been there and I am so sorry. It is a terrible place to be. And I want you to know that that is not the place God wants you to be. All right? That is not how he wants you to feel. God wants you to be with him in the kingdom of God in a place where you are found, where you are safe, where you are loved, where you are nurtured and taken care of. And again, it's never going to be perfect here on this side of heaven, but I do believe that there is a place that is better than being lost. So we're going to read the parable of the lost sheep. And like I said, it's in the book of Matthew and it's in the book of Luke. And that's interesting because sometimes the same story is told in different books. But most scholars believe this was two different occasions that Jesus told this story. And it was to two different groups. And he, he has mostly the main point, but there are some very interesting, subtle differences. And so we're going to talk about that for a time. But all right, long, long buildup for this because it's, it's two verses. Here's the, here's the parable of the lost sheep. It says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. I, it's a short parable, but oh, it is so jam-packed with good stuff. And I know when you first read it, you're like, okay, I, yeah, sure, it's got some stuff. But I'm telling you, the more you study it, the more you think about it, the more you read it, the more you start to think about what that means, what that tells us about God and us, it is, it is powerful. I always have a lot of trouble coming up with the talk because I always have so many ideas. These are some of the things I think you can get from this parable, that God sees us like sheep, and himself as our shepherd. And in so many ways, this is true. We'll talk about that more in a minute. That each one of us is precious and valuable, and wanted and protected and sought after by God. That it matters to God what happens to us, that we matter to God. That God will go to great lengths to bring us back to the safety of his flock, the kingdom of heaven, even when we're the ones who went astray. That God will leave the many to look for the one that we are each that important to him. That God is a rescuer, that he looks for us and he finds us. And here's one that maybe this is why you're here tonight, that God rejoices, that God gets happy over you. 
When we are with God, he is happy. That God is not always angry. He's not always mad. I think some of us, that's how we view him. Like he's just angry and he's got his big old thumb and he's ready to just squish us all, you know. But God rejoices. Each one of these things could be a sermon and a talk. They really could. They are backed up by so many scriptures. These are truths found in scriptures, but obviously we don't have time to go with those. So what we're going to do is, if you've ever heard our lead pastor Donnie talk, he always says, context, context, context. So let's look at the context of this passage and see what we can get out of it. In Matthew's account, if you back up in this, you see that his disciples, that's his closest followers who he called, are hanging out together with Jesus. So these are the ones that are, that are in with him. They're close with him. And they're arguing over who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, as, you know, disciples and close followers of the humble Jesus do. And, um, you know, I'm sure they're like, I'm sure it's me. I've left everything. I've done so much for Jesus. You know it's going to be me. But they're arguing about it. And Jesus hears them. And so he, it says he calls over a child, and he brings him over, and he's like, look, you guys have got it all wrong. You're missing the whole point. He says this, he says, whoever humbles itself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I could talk for a long time about how children were viewed in Jesus' day, which was not very highly and not very well, and how Jesus treated them with like they were the most special and precious thing in the world, which is really sweet. And I could talk about how it just takes a simple childlike faith for us to have that relationship with God, for us to enter the kingdom of heaven. But I... What I want to focus on is that I don't think it's a far stretch for Jesus to be talking about children and then slip into a parable about sheep. Because I think there's kind of a lot of, a lot of similarities between the two. As followers of God, the Bible from the start to the finish calls us sheep. It says that we are sheep and God is the shepherd, the good shepherd. Maybe you've, you've heard of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, all sorts of stuff. Old Testament and New Testament, we get these references. There's a lot of metaphors for how, and how God sees us, and the two relational ones that he seems to use the most are father and shepherd, and we're a child and a sheep. And sheep and children have a lot in common. I mean, you don't have to be a farmer to know much about sheep, right? I mean, we know that they're, they're fuzzy, they're adorable, they're hilarious, they're notoriously vulnerable and dumb right? Sheep need looking after. I'm not a, a farmer, but they have no natural defenses. You know, they're just fuzzy, and they don't even have sharp teeth or anything, and so they're, they're easy prey, and they need people apparently to help them find, like, good food to eat and to, and to keep them safe. They need to stay together for protection, and yet, even with someone watching them, apparently, they just stray off and go here and there, and when they do, they get themselves in trouble, in a lot of ways. Like sometimes they fall into holes, literally, and can't get out. And y'all have got to see this because it's made me laugh so hard. I've watched it like 20 times. Okay. I hope you can see this. Go. All right. Oh, that was a sheep's butt. Let's try again. Okay. Go. Go. Okay, it doesn't have sound. Don't worry about the sound. There he goes. He's free. Woo! Did you see at the end? It's like he dove in. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I saw that, and I'm like, she fall into holes. That's weird. But, you know, I mean, they do, apparently, and they fall back into the same one. 
Um, they, they fall into rivers, and because they've got all that wool, sometimes it, it gets so full, it just, it'll drown them. You know, I mean, they're just, I know, it's sad. They're not the smartest thing in the world. They get stuck in brambles. They're already easy prey. I mean, that just is like saying, dinner is here to all the predators around, you know. They, they have some value, of course, but it's not value based on what they can do. I mean, you don't ever hear about, like, let's get the sheep to pull our plow or anything like that. It's just, it's just because of what they are and who they are. They have wool. They provide food and all this stuff. But they're humble animals. They need the flock, and they need a shepherd to survive and to thrive. All right. So with all the creatures in the world that God created, he's like, what is the best way to think about my relationship to humans? And he's like, sheep and shepherd. That's right. He looks around and he's like, yes. And if we are honest, we know he's probably right. You know, I don't want you to get upset or offended or anything like that. But (laughs) yes. Nobody, nobody ever says, you know, if you're asked by someone while you're walking up for worship, what animal would you be if you could be? Nobody ever says sheep. Did anybody say sheep? I heard hamster, which is <laughs> interesting enough on its own. You know, I always go for like hawk or eagle, something that flies and has talons or a lion or a puma, you know, some kind of badass animal. That's what I want to be if I was going to be. But I never say sheep. You know, sheep don't do that much. But if we're honest even though you guys are probably some of the smartest people in the state. I mean, I am not kidding. You are smart people. We do a lot of dumb things sometimes, don't we? I mean, we do a lot of dumb things. How many of you, I I don't know, had a project that you knew about at the beginning of the semester and you haven't started it yet? Uh Uh-huh, not so sorry. Like, we shouldn't probably raise hands for this. All right. um. How many of you have ever been walking with friends and talking and just crossed the street without even looking at cars? Brenton. <laughs> How many of you have had just like a few dollars and you're like, I should save this for gas, and then you saw Cookout or Chick-fil-A and you're like, mm, nope, I'll just not drive my car after this, it's fine. Anybody ever texted and driven? All right, so we do dumb things. Yes, I know, humble. All right. Um, A lot of ways we are like sheep. We get distracted. We don't do the smartest things. We make bad choices. And y'all, we wander. We go astray. Sometimes that's just what we do because we're sheep. You know, and most of the time, I think it's unintentional. We don't decide, like, I'm going to reject all my beliefs and values. I'm just going to go this way. I don't think sheep do that either. I don't think a sheep goes, you know what? I'm striking out on my own. Here I go. Um... I think they wander because they get distracted and they start making a lot of really small decisions like, hmm, that grass over there looks pretty good. I'll just mosey on over and have me a little bite. Ooh, it is good. Flock's still there. We're good. Ooh, but look at those woods. I'm so hot in all this wool. I'll just walk into these cool woods and they'll be so nice and, and it is. And then they're like, wait, is that water right here? I believe that's fresh water. I'll go walk over there. And the next thing you know, they don't know where they are. They're lost in this woods. They realize how vulnerable they are. Every, and they don't know the way back because they're sheep. And they've just gone astray. They've gotten distracted. They've made some, some bad decisions. We do the same thing. We make a lot of little turns that are wrong. A lot of little decisions. And before we know it, we ended up in Arnoldsville. <laughs> and everybody knows how dangerous that is. And we have no idea how to get home. And... And it's not until we're there that we realize, oh, that wasn't smart. You know, what have I done? Where have I gotten? How do I get back? I feel so alone. 
I feel so vulnerable. We get lost. Going astray looks different for everybody, and it looks different in every situation. But if you're, if you're talking about spiritually going astray, a lot of times it starts with a lot of tiny little decisions. You know, you just kind of stop reading your Bible or, or stop praying or, or stop going to CCF or church or whatever your crash group is, whatever kept, keeps you grounded. You know, maybe the doubts that are normal that we all have, you just kind of let them run rampant in your head, and it starts to chisel away at your faith. Or maybe you start to just hang out with the wrong crowd, or maybe you start to just play with all these temptations that you know are not good for you. And the next thing you know, you don't know where you are. You, you've wandered. You're, you're astray, and, and you don't know how to get back. And sadly, a lot of times, I think when that happens, we're like, ah, I can, can't talk to God. He's going to be so mad, you know, because I knew better. Oh, I just I can't even go back to that that place. But y'all, here's the thing. God calls us sheep. God knows we're going to do this. God knows how we are. He knows we're going to make bad decisions sometimes. He knows we're going to wander sometimes. And according to this parable, according to Jesus, who was God and who knew God, God is looking for us to come home. He desperately wants us to come home. In fact, he is out searching for us. When we are lost, he is searching for us. And when we come home, God is happy. God rejoices. God is happy over you because he wants you in the flock. He wants you in the kingdom where he can take care of you, where he can nurture you, no matter how imperfect we've been, no matter what we've done or not done. That is the truth of the Bible. That is what Jesus says when he's trying to explain to us how much God loves us. I mean, think about this. Have you ever found a pet that you had that was lost? Okay, it's the worst thing in the world to have a pet that's lost. It really is. I remember years ago, I had a black lab. This is before I even had kids named Zion. Oh, my God, I love Zion. I didn't have kids, so, I, you know, Zion was my kid. And Gary and I left, and Zion got out of the fence. And, again, this was a long time ago. This is before the Internet and everything. And so we went everywhere looking and calling for her, and we made the little posters. And we made an ad for the paper because that's what you did, and we put it immediately in the paper, and I was devastated. I was like, oh, my gosh, we're never going to find her again. Well, the day that the ad came out in the paper, this man called, and he's like, look, I saw your ad. I think I might have your dog. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And so we drove over. It was about five miles away, and he had this big property. And he's like, yeah, I saw, I saw her. She looked like she was somebody's dog. And so I, can't, I put her in here. She's in the fence, but she's just hiding in the back. She's terrified, and she won't even hardly come up. Um, but it might be her. And so we, we called her, and, and she came up, and she was so dirty. Zion had a little white thing on her chest that you couldn't see that. And I was like, oh, gosh, Gary, what if it's not her? And, and she came up, and she got near us, and she just starts trembling and whining. And we pet her, and it was her. And we yelled at her and said, what do you think? No, we were so excited, y'all. We hugged her, and we put her in the car, and she laid in the back seat, and she just whimpered the whole way home. And as soon as we got home, we gave her a bath, which she hated. But then we gave her a lot of treats, and we petted her. And then you know what we did? We called all of our friends, and we all celebrated, and we rejoiced, because what was lost that was precious to us was found. Yeah, we did that for a dog. God loves you so much. God loves when you're with him, when you're in a safe place. God rejoices when you come home, no matter why you left, no matter how far you went. It doesn't matter because you are precious to God. This is the message of the Bible. You are valuable. You are loved. God loves you, and God wants you with him. God will always seek you 
God rejoices when you come home, no matter how far you've wandered, no matter how far astray. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, that's, that's fine for you if, you if you've been a part of the church or if you've known God and you go astray, sure, God understands. But what about me? You know, I'm not sure I was ever convinced about this God stuff. I've never really been to church. I've never done that. Well, you know what? Jesus speaks to you, too. In the book of Luke, he tells the same parable, but there are some very key differences that I think just round out the story of love and acceptance. So we're going to read that real quick. In Luke, it says, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, the, the context for this, Jesus is eating with the outcasts of Jewish society. Okay, people that there were tax collectors and sinners. That's what they were called. These were not people who were in his inner group like the disciples the last time. And the religious leaders come by and they see it and they start grumbling. They're like, what are you doing eating with them? And Jesus tells this parable to them. He's talking about people who are lost. Notice in Matthew, he talked about wandering or going astray. In fact, the word he used in the Matthew parable is the Greek word, I don't know how to pronounce it, planeo, which means to stray or mislead or wander. But in this version, to this audience, he says that they are lost which is the Greek word, I don't know what that is, aplami, which means to be lost or destroy or perish. This group is dangerously lost. This group is essentially dead outside of the flock. And so that's what is all through this retelling of the, the, lost, par- or the lost sheep parable. Now, it is interesting, that last verse, and I added that because I think it's really kind of funny, um, because Jesus, most scholars think that this last verse is kind of a jab at the religious community. He says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The religious people who came up felt like they did not need to repent because they were good enough by all the good things that they did, right? And Jesus just kind of hits them and is like, oh, yeah, right. Well, (laughs) you know, that's not true because you can never be good enough. In fact, the Bible says that we're all on a level playing field. We We are all in need of salvation. Romans 3, 10 through 23 says, there is no one righteous, not even one, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all in the same boat together. But the good news is in the next verse, but we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus is how we become righteous. It's how we enter the flock or the kingdom of God. No one is too far. No one starts off any better than the others. We are all sinners in need of salvation, in need of grace. And Jesus is willing to carry us home. Jesus is willing to offer us that righteousness. He loves us even when we're sinners, and we could never do anything to earn this. That's because he loves us unconditionally. Romans 5, 8 says, But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, we didn't have to be perfect. We didn't have to do all the right things. We don't have to find our own way to the flock or, you know, into the family of God. Because Jesus is saying, no matter who you are, you are valuable and you are loved and God loves you. And God wants you near him and God will always seek you and God rejoices when you come home. And the cool thing is, is that Jesus will carry you home. Jesus knows the way. See, when you're lost, 
You don't know the way, but Jesus does. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way to get to God, and he will take us home. No matter what we've done, it doesn't matter. So we all stray, you know, and sometimes we're lost. But there may be somebody who says, well, you know, that's not really me. I didn't stray. I'm not really lost. I just, I deliberately left. <laughs> you know, I kind of picked a path that went the opposite way, and I went that way. And I know there's no way I could come back without God being mad at me. I mean, I, I have been there, so I, I understand it is a terrible place to be. But guess what? Jesus has a story for you, too. That's right. No matter where we are, Jesus knows us. I'm talking to you, whoever's in the, the live stream. Um, Jesus tells one more story that we're going to say really briefly. It's called the parable of the prodigal son. And it's a very familiar story. It's kind of long, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to paraphrase. This is my last point, so stay focused. So if you don't know this story, I encourage you to go back and read it. It's in Luke chapter 15, right after the lost son. Well, there's one parable in between the lost sheep and this one. Basically, in this story, a son, he probably college age, gets up. He's like, you know what? I'm done being here. I want my money, Dad. I'm going to go out and live it up because I am just being squashed in your house. And so... The dad gives the son his inheritance, and he takes off, and he is living it up. I mean, he is having so much fun. He's got friends. He's going to parties. He's doing all this until he runs out of money, and then a famine hits, and all of a sudden, he's got no friends. He's in a foreign land, and he doesn't even have food to eat. He is in a bad place, and eventually, the Bible says he's like, you know what? My, my dad, his servants, they get so much better than this. I'm just going to go. I'm going to have a speech. I'm going to grovel. I'm just going to try to get a little, little corner of the house in the back if I can. And so he does. He turns around, and he starts walking back home. And the Bible tells us that the father is on the porch waiting, and he sees the son in the distance, and he runs to him, and he embraces him, and he celebrates, and he brings him home, and he's like, y'all, we got to have a huge party because my son that was lost is found now there's one more little part because there's an older brother involved in this and he never left and he is not so happy that the son did all this and came back and gets a party and so he's out pouting and he's jealous and the father goes out to him he's like what's wrong he's like you know what I don't get a party and the father's like look you've been here the whole time you've had all the blessings of food and safety and comfort you've had the blessings of my house you know they're all yours you're in the flock, basically. You're in the kingdom of God. But your, your brother was lost. He went through a lot, and now he's found, and we're going to celebrate. Y'all, that, that is a powerful story because that sheep didn't go astray. It didn't accidentally make some wrong turns. It wasn't lost and never knew the way. That sheep said, nope, I'm out of here. I'm done with the shepherd. I'm done with this. I'm going to do my own thing, and it took off. But the thing is, no matter if that's your story or not, the truth of the Bible and what Jesus wants you to hear is that you are valuable and you are loved and God loves you and God wants you near him and God will always seek you and God rejoices when you come home and you are always welcome home because think about the reactions of the shepherd and the father in these stories. In all of these cases, there is rejoicing there is celebrating. God is happy. Jesus is telling us that God is happy when we come back. Now, in the, in the lost sheep, we see the shepherd going out because he's got to go find them because they're lost. They don't know the way back, right? But in the parable of the prodigal son, the father doesn't leave because the son knows the way back. He just has to turn around and walk back. He knows where he went. 
And it's interesting because we hear the word sometimes repent in the Bible. Repent just means to turn around. Turn around and head towards God. That's all he does. That's all we ever have to do. God loves us. He's looking for us. He's excited that we are on the path home and he will run to meet you and hug you and embrace you. You are loved. You are valuable. God wants you near him. God loves you. God rejoices when you come home. Some of us really struggle to see and think that God's not mad at us. And, and I get that. It, it's easy to get. Sometimes we get a, our lens of how we view God gets kind of off, which is why Jesus came to give us a good lens to see God clearly. Um, I think about, I have a picture. This is my son Dylan and I. My son Dylan is a junior now. And last summer, he and I got to spend a lot of time together because he fences a lot. And we got to travel all over and took a family trip to Vegas. And um, it's great. I love Dylan. He's, he's the best. But at one point, he was like, oh, my gosh, you're always so stressed. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, you're always stressed and dad's always mad. And I was like taken aback. I was like, what do you mean? I mean, I, I get stressed sometimes, but I'm not always stressed. And he's like, yeah, you are. And I was like, what has happened here? And so we started talking about it. And at some point on the way, as he was growing up and we didn't spend quite as much time together from when he was a kid, he got it in his head that we were stressed, that I was stressed and Gary was mad. And that became the lens that he saw us through every interaction Every word, everything we said or didn't do was through that lens of mom is stressed, dad is mad. And we talked about that. And as we spent time together, I was like, that is not the case at all. And I got better about saying what I was feeling at the time. I'm mad that they cut me off, you know, or I'm, I'm scared of this, or, or I am frustrated at this. But it was almost never at Dylan. And the more time we spent together, the more he started to see, oh, I just, I don't know why I had that that wrong and I was like just ask me so he'd say mom are you stressed and I was like no Dylan that's just my face apparently I have RSF <laughs> resting stress face you know um, and and we got to know each other better and by the end of the summer it kind of became a joke you know I'd be eating a snack and he's like are you stressed and I'm like yes um, but it bothered me so much that somebody I love so much felt that way about me that that's how he saw me and I was so glad we got to address that and deal with that y'all I can't imagine how God feels when God is happy and God loves you and God wants you. And we look through this lens of God is angry at me and God does not want me and he's disappointed and I can't come home. The Bible says that he is love, that he is good, that he is kind, that he is forgiving, that he wants us to be part of him, part of his family, part of him. That is the truth of the Bible. I encourage you, if you are in that part where that place where you, you think God is mad at you all the time, to, to, to put that up against the truth of Scripture. Talk to some of us. Talk to the staff. Talk to the backbones. Talk to any of us about these things. We would love for any of this to be the beginning of a conversation that helps you find your way back or see God more clearly. Understand how valuable you are and how much he loves you, how much he wants you here. Well, our, our very short two-verse parable has led to a long talk, as it often does with me. Um, I hope by now that this message, the main point, is starting to sink in or at least kind of challenging some of maybe your preconceptions. And like I said, I, if you want to talk about this more, we would love to. I hope you'll at least start to consider that this may be true. I want to say one last thing to those of you who would see yourself as part of the 99 
you know, in the flock of God, you haven't wandered, you haven't strayed, and hopefully you won't. I want to encourage you to rejoice, to be thankful, to count your blessings, to think about what you have as one of the 99 in the flock, that you get to be with God and not take that for granted. Read Psalm 23, you know, and see what the good shepherd has for you. Recognize what you have and enjoy it. And don't be like the older brother. When a lost sheep comes home, we don't go like, oh, well, now you're back. No, we rejoice because, y'all, they've had it tough. They've been out in the cold, and we need to celebrate because it is worth celebrating. Uh, when I say the you are valuable, you are loved, that you can be singular, every single one of you. It can be you as a group, and it can be you. Another way to say that is they are valuable. They are loved. God loves them. God wants them near him, and God will always seek them. God rejoices when they come home. Whoever they is, it doesn't matter. God loves us. And if you feel lost right now, God is seeking you. He wants you back, and he will rejoice and celebrate. I encourage you to say this truth in your head. Think about it. Say it out loud if you want. Make it personal. I am valuable. I am loved. God loves me. God wants me near him, and God will always seek me. God rejoices when I come in. Let that sink in because that's what Jesus said in these parables. That's what the message of the Bible is. And Jesus is God. He knows God. That's the truth. When you doubt it, read the parable of the lost sheep. Let's pray. Father, it is hard sometimes to believe that truth because as much as we want to believe you are that good, we see where we fall short often, time and again. I pray that tonight would start us seeing the truth of your word and really embracing it and trying to remember that that is for all of us, that each person here, whatever pushback they're having in their mind, whatever they think is the condition that keeps your unconditional love for them, help them to realize that that is a lie and that is keeping them from living the life that you have for them, a life that will never be problem-free here on earth but is is so much better being found and being where you want us to be, being near you, having the blessings of relationship with you, having the community that you've placed here for us. So I just pray for each person here, God, and if there are more conversations that need to happen, that they would happen. If people need to be prayed with, that they would go in the back and be prayed with, and that most of all, they would know how valuable they are, that we would all know that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.